Looking for a way to keep your kids or grandkids entertained? Just tell your smart speaker to play Vision Kids Radio. Vision Kids! Problem solved. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Frankston MP Jeff Shaw in Victoria. He's revealed that he's putting the finishing touches on his proposed changes to Victoria's abortion laws. It's happening in the Victorian Parliament to talk through those issues. Peter Stokes from Salt Shakers is joining us. Hello, Peter. Welcome back to 2020. Good morning, Neil. Good to see um, hear you again. <laughs> and Jenny's having the day off today. You're in the hot seat, and I know you've been following this issue very carefully because Jeff Shaw is not everyone's cup of tea. In fact, he's now a nationally known identity because he's quite the rogue MP in Victoria. Well, let's say that that's what the media want to make of him. And uh, unfortunately today, Neil, we get way, despite being now talking on the radio, we get way too much misinformation from the media. And uh, the first thing we really need to do is to do our own research and uh, and find out what is really going on and um, yes Jeff has not made himself a popular person now I, I don't know Jeff I, I have no uh, personal knowledge of his um, that the troubles he's been on firsthand or otherwise I only know what everybody else knows in one sense about the media but that's the danger. Um, we have a very strong anti-Christian element in the media today and this makes it very, very difficult. So are you saying, Peter, that Jeff Shaw is a Christian? We've discussed the fact that he's not popular on either side of politics. Uh, what are your impressions of Jeff Shaw? Well, uh, my impressions are that he's, um, he, he's got a lot of good going for him, but sometimes he gets himself into trouble. And uh, uh, I must admit that's probably been said about me a few times. Um, <laughs> uh, but the fact is that in this situation, we, we have a terrible law, the worst in Australia, that was passed by the then Labor government in 2008. It took away the conscience rights of doctors to speak out or, or not to refer on for an abortion when they thought that the person in front of them, um, you know, shouldn't have an abortion or, or they don't have uh, abortion on their radar because they think it's a bad thing. And so that right was taken away. Now, Bernie Finn has been speaking out uh, consistently and there have been marches in the street with thousands of people wanting this law overturned. And Bernie raised the issue again the other day because he's getting frustrated along with a number of other politicians in our state parliament because Mr Napfine seems to be not allowing that debate to take place. And so when we talk about conscience votes, you've got the case where it is reported that uh, Dennis Napthine is counselling uh, people like Bernie Finn to, uh, you know, hold back, uh, you're wrong, uh, it's over the top, uh, don't, uh, don't go along that line. That's right, because sadly they put politics before morality today in too many of our parliaments. And what we have seen is we, we saw a lot of people support the Liberal government believing that they would do something about this awful law and a number of other awful laws that were passed by the previous government. 
But unfortunately, firstly, we had uh, Ted Bailey, who was, um, well, I've often said he's uh, he should be in the Greens rather than the Liberal Party. Um, and we were very pleased to see uh, that he stood down and we thought that Mr Napfine was going to be an improvement. Unfortunately, nothing has changed. And in fact, Mr Napfine has supported people that we would certainly prefer to get rid of, like Mary Waldridge and uh, uh, a few other left-leaning pro-abortion MPs. And so the battle really is that Mr Napfine doesn't want to rock the boat, so he's not prepared to do anything about the bad law. Jeff Shaw's bill has been sitting there for some time, which all it does in this instance is take away that non-conscience right from doctors. In other words, it gives back doctors the right to not refer for an abortion if they so feel fit. And that's the extent to which they, they, they won't even go that far. And one wonders when that happens whether we're ever going to see any change to this law. And this won't make Jeff Shaw any more friends, given that it seems to be uh, both sides of politics in Victoria are uh, uh, happy to go along this line, uh, which just uh, which just has that pressure on doctors to refer. It seems to me it's, it's dumb and dumber, and, and who can get to the bottom the fastest in many of our political situations today? Um, because nobody is prepared to stand up for the rights of of the child, uh, whether that be in in the issue of abortion, whether that be in the issue of homosexual adoption and and uh, IVF, etc. Nobody is at the moment campaigning, not even in our federal parliament, I must admit, except for the refusal to move on the marriage bill, but on the same-sex marriage bill, which we're very pleased about, but there is not enough being done to turn this thing around. Um, and, and one wonders just uh, how long we have to wait with what is supposed to be a conservative government in many states and a conservative government federally for them actually to start showing some conservative values. So I guess we'd encourage Victorian voters uh, to be in touch with their local MP. If uh, if you're concerned about this issue, uh, you should contact your MP and uh, let them know what your position is. Let's just broaden our conversation now, uh, Peter, because uh, through this hour we're going to be talking about the faith of political leaders and we're going to talk a little about the history of the faith of Australia's Prime Ministers, but uh, your opinions, your views in general about uh, political leaders, the way they wear their faith when they are people who are Christians and those that perhaps are a few pretenders. Well, uh, yes, and unfortunately, um, being I'll put my negative hat on again, uh, of, of late in the last few years, we seem to have had a lot of pretenders. Remember, it was a prime minister who called himself a Christian who said he would support same-sex uh, um, same-sex marriage in Australia, and he was introduced to the the, the community when he took over the leadership of the party as a Christian who, in somebody uh, quite high up in political realms, thought was a much deeper Christian than, say, John Howard. Now, John Howard was a very quiet Christian, but he surrounded himself with people with Christian values. Most of his advisors were Christians, good Christians, who had a good moral position. And if we get a Christian who's prepared to wear the label 
and prepared to acknowledge the good that Christianity has done for this nation over so many years, that would be a good thing. But unfortunately, we seem to get um, Christians and and they're either um, silent or, or they compromise with everybody. I mean, Dennis Napthine was supposed to be a Christian. He went and launched the midday midsummer festival this year, which is a homosexual festival, and he's the first Victorian premier to have done that, which went completely against what we expected from Mr. Napthine. I guess we would think of times past, and maybe we have a a, a rosy view of those, where faith might have been stronger than political than politics, but uh, what you're sort of arguing is that uh, the party politics uh, now drowns out the faith of of, uh, of politicians, and uh, they find it very difficult to make a stand when they do have a faith conscience. That they do because the parties have been hijacked. We must remember that um, Christian people were really involved in in both the Labor and the Liberal Party in its early days, and we've had many good Christian MPs over the years, which have held Australia as a Christian nation, just even while we were bringing people in from many other countries. They were made welcome because this is a Christian nation, and we have the freedom to allow them to be here. But today we are compromising with every loud voice regardless of whether it negates Christian values or completely reverses Christian values. And they don't seem to be able to take a stand and say, we, you know, I mean, you've got the same in Britain. I'm not saying Australia is any worse than anywhere else. Britain, uh, for a country with a conservative government, the Christians uh, are under threat right, left and centre. And, of course, they have same-sex marriage. America, you have a guy at the head who says he's a Christian and yet, He's supporting abortion, uh, same-sex marriage, everything you'd like to think is anti-Christian. Well, Peter Stokes, always good getting your insights into these types of issues, and we're going to continue talking about political leaders through the remainder of this hour. Uh, Peter, uh, thanks very much for being part of 2020 Today. Good to share with you, Neil. And we're going to invite listeners to call us and be a part of our ongoing conversation. There's plenty to comment on already. Do you think it's important for political leaders to be people of Christian faith or is it important for them to be informed about Christian ethics and indeed our Christian heritage? Someone who has been researching in this area and is emerging as one of our nation's great public intellectuals is Roy Williams. Uh, Since back in 2006... Uh, Roy has uh, has uh, entered reviews uh, that have appeared regularly in the Weekend Australian. He's also been a contributor to the Sydney Morning Herald, a whole bunch of other publications. He's written a book called God Actually, which was forming his thoughts on Christian faith. Uh, 20 years as a litigation lawyer and is the author of the book called In God They Trust, which looks at the Christian faith of prime ministers dating right back to Federation. Uh, Roy Williams is joining us. Hello, Roy. Welcome back to 2020. Hello, Neil. Great to be back. Roy, last time we were talking, it was before the last federal election, and uh, we were talking about the faith of political leaders then. Uh, There's all sorts of things, I guess, to talk about and to speculate about today. Well, there sure is. Hard, hard to know where to begin. I, I heard the tail end of your discussion with uh, with Peter, and um, uh, it, it, it wet my lips, so to speak. Um, 
there were many things I agreed with Peter about and a few things I, I disagreed with him about. But, yeah, lots to talk about. Well, let's talk about your book and set the scene and, of course, inviting listeners to participate in our conversation with that question. Do you think it's important uh, for political leaders to be people of Christian faith? And there might be people who'd be uh, detractors from that and others who'd stand up and say, yes, of course they need to uh, be people of Christian faith and they need to be aware of our heritage. They need to be aware of Christian ethics and what it is that makes Christians tick if there is such a thing as the Christian constituency which is made up of a lot of uh, people who vote. Uh, So it's certainly in the interest of politicians to know who's who. But your book, uh, it's all about the faith of our prime ministers dating right back to Federation. That's 24 prime ministers now. Uh, Roy, uh, if you were giving an overall snapshot of what faith has been like at the top levels of political leadership over the last 100 plus years, uh, what's your impression? My overall impression is this, that the vast majority of our Prime Ministers uh, were believers in God. That's point number one. Even those, I count 17 out of 24, there might there might be a little bit of argument around the edges on, on a few of those, but uh, certainly a clear majority were, were believers in, in God, in a Christian God. Uh, even the seven who I count as agnostics... Um, the vast majority of those uh, thought long and hard about God. Some indeed were Christians for significant portions of their lives. At the very least, they they were steeped in, in Christian ethics, Christian values, and uh, although they might not have remained practising Christians, um, were very much brought up in that tradition. I mean, one of the best examples is Bob Hawke, his father, of course, was a Congregationalist minister, and Hawke himself was a uh, practicing Christian until his 20s. He now calls himself an agnostic, uh, but he also says that the values his father and his uncle, who was the Premier of Western Australia, Christian socialists instilled in him were, were vital to his uh, to his upbringing. So that's the overall picture. Um, clear majority of our prime ministers, and I stress on both sides of politics, conservative and labor. In fact, virtually an equal split between the two, um, Protestants and Catholics, uh, Confederation right up to uh, the present day, of course, Tony Abbott. Um, so it, it's a clear picture. Now, interestingly, uh, Neil, I think it's fair to say that our prime ministers were a lot more uh, steeped in Christianity than the population at large. I'm doubtful whether Australia has ever been a majority Christian country in the sense that a majority truly believed in and practised the Christian faith. I think it's probably always been a minority. What has changed is that public opposition to Christianity has grown stronger, particularly in the last generation. But at the very top, and this doesn't just apply to politics, by the way, it applies across the board. Uh, virtually all fields of endeavour, uh, there's been a disproportionate number of believers. I should say one other thing. I'm not saying, uh, and this is one of your questions uh, uh, at the beginning, I'm not saying that it's essential that a prime minister or a political leader be a Christian. I do think, it, I mean, from a personal point of view, I think it's desirable and preferable. Uh, but... I don't think it's essential. What I do think is essential is that 
our leaders, particularly prime ministers, people who aspire to lead the whole country, must have some knowledge of, some pretty deep knowledge of, of Christianity, both theology and history, because you can't understand the history of this country without without understanding the role played by the churches. Some uh, listeners to uh, this program regularly uh, would have heard me say things like, uh, Roy, dating back to the the early days of Australian history, the evangelisation of Australia was so successful, uh, right back to the First Fleet where Richard Johnson arrived and was the first chaplain and uh, had the church service there. Uh, You can go and visit that site in Sydney. But uh, evangelisation of Australia was so successful in that first 100 plus years that by the early 1920s, uh, the census would show that uh, almost everyone identified as Christian and almost everyone went to church. Uh, So there is a culture which was birthed in Australia and of course there's lots of dark sides to our Australian culture as well but the 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 culture that was birthed uh, in those early days uh, certainly affected uh, right uh, things that were happening at federation and that must have carried over through the faith and the foundations in the lives of our prime ministers uh, over that next hundred years. Well, undoubtedly, uh, Neil. I mean, the Christian evangelist, starting with Richard Johnson in Sydney, um, had a pretty tough road to hoe. Um, it wasn't easy going all the way. In fact, Johnson went back within a few years in, in, in pretty disillusioned. But they'd sowed the seeds, and uh, all, by about 1840, all four of the major strands of Christianity, that is, Church of England, Roman Catholic Church, Presbyterian Church, and the nonconformists, the Methodists and Congregationists and so on, had established a very strong presence. Now, that presence strengthened appreciably in the second half of the 19th century, so that in the lead-up to Federation, the churches were very powerful. Uh, and indeed, the reason that our Constitution contains a reference to God, it didn't in the original first draft, it's because the church has lobbied for it, for it to be included. And politicians in those days, just as uh, cynical and as they are now, um, although a lot of them were also Christians, but they were attuned to public opinion and, and uh, they very promptly inserted the preamble which, which mentions God, the fact that all were relying on his blessing. Um, funnily enough, Edmund Barton, our very first Prime Minister, was one of the few who wasn't an especially religious man, um, which may, in fact, at that time in history have not been an entirely bad thing because Protestant-Catholic divisions were very strong in those days, and if we'd had someone who was very strong on either side of of that divide, it it might have been unhealthy. Um, But certainly later on, we got very strong... um, Protestant Christians and very strong Catholic Christians in the Prime Ministerial Office. That is a tremendous uh, issue which I think we can pick up on uh, very shortly, is this uh, divide between Catholic and Protestant uh, politicians and our Prime Ministers. We'll come back and we'll continue our conversation. Our special guest is Roy Williams. He's the author of the book In God They Trust. Uh, Roy, when we talk about the faith of political leaders, uh, you raised an important point in our last segment there where we started talking about the divide between Catholic and Protestant leaders. Uh, if yeah. you've got an overall perception of, of how that divide has 
uh, has evolved. How does that look? Overall, this way, um, politically, uh, until certainly about the 1970s, the Conservative parties uh, became the Liberal Party in 1944, um, were dominated by Protestants. And the Labor Party was dominated by Catholics. Um, that was that was the that was the overall picture. Um, although important to stress that the Labor Party began very much as a party that had both a Protestant and Catholic and secular influence. Um, it was really only in World War One the arguments about conscription, which split the Labor Party straight down the middle, that Labor be- became more dominated by, by Catholic parliamentarians. Um, when Sir Robert Menzies created the Liberal Party in 1944, um, it was very much a Protestant exercise. I think at one stage there was only one Catholic MHR from, from the Liberal Party in the 50s and 60s. Um, all that changed, uh, Neil, when the state aid debate about uh, funding of church schools was resolved. In the uh, in the 1960s, and the two the two great uh, achievers politically on that score were both Protestants, uh, uh, and I think only Protestants could have sold it. Um, Menzies, Sir Robert Menzies, was in the Liberal Party, and Gough Whitlam was in the Labor Party. They they fought the battles within their own parties uh, to uh, to end that debate, so that all church schools would then be funded. The vast majority of church schools, of course, were Catholic schools. That's, that's why there was then such an argument about it. And from the 70s onwards, the conservative parties have had increasing numbers of Catholics. In fact, the current government, it's, it's quite extraordinary, the historical turnaround. The current coalition government has more, far more practising Catholics than, than Protestants, um, Tony Abbott, uh, Malcolm Turnbull, Barnaby Joyce, Joe Hockey, just 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 to name four. Um, and that may be that may be interesting yeah. too, uh, Roy. Yeah. When you think of uh, some of the history of the Catholic Church, where there wasn't up until midway through last century uh, the idea of uh, encouragement to uh, go back to the Bible, to understand the Scriptures, to be a reader of God's Word. Uh, do you think that there is some new special allowance that has allowed uh, Catholics uh, to come back to a biblical base, which perhaps, arguably, you could say is where the Protestants' base has been? Well, this <laughs> this is a huge issue. This is a minefield. Vatican uh, <laughs> II in, in the mid-'60s certainly liberalised the uh, Catholic Church substantially and... Um, Although very conservative Catholics would would quibble with uh, with this, I, I think it is fair to say that uh, the doctrine of papal authority has has been weakened somewhat. Um, the role of individual conscience in Catholics, including reading the scriptures and forming views for themselves, has has increased. I mean that's that's a massive simplification, both yep. pre-Vatican. Two and post Vatican II, but um, but certainly uh, those old those old debates, that old cleavage in our society has 
has eased. And, and I think, as I said, people like Menzies and Whitman and Gorton and Fraser uh, can take a lot of the credit for that. I mean, they 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 led from the top, and uh, this is one very good example where if our leaders hadn't been steeped in Christianity, uh, it would have been virtually impossible to solve those solve that problem because one needed to have an extremely sensitive understanding of all of the issues in order to um, talk with all the relevant parties and, and find a solution. Roy, we're inviting listeners to join our conversation and express what they think about whether it's important for political leaders to be people of Christian faith. Uh, Anne from the Gold Coast is joining us. Hello, Anne. Welcome to 2020. Oh, thank you. I, I'm interested. I like your program. Good. Anyway, um, my name is Anne, and um, I think they really do uh, need to have God as their leader because they can't lead the nation properly, and only God can give them the advice that they need so they can lead the nation. So they need God in their life for their leading. So you're talking along the lines, Anne, of the worldview or the way that the thinking happens uh, in our political leaders actually affects the outcomes in the nation. It does affect the outcome in the nation. Maybe not personally sometimes, but uh, but overall, yes, because that way they're only leading by what they think in themselves. And if they don't have God... Uh, as they're, you know, in their lives, um, they can't lead properly. It's just not available to, for them to lead, them, lead people properly, to give them the, the right advice and the right structure for people, you know, in the government, yeah. So we're talking about, like, role models there too for yes. young Australians. So when yes. they see a Christian leader, then they're more inclined to pick up on some of those sensitive areas of Christian ethics which actually are in the good of the nation. That's right. Uh, what are your thoughts, Roy, uh, when it comes to uh, these sorts of things? Uh, anything that you'd like well, to comment think, that Anne's talking I, I about? I think Anne has, uh, has really put her finger on the central theme of my book, which is, which is that the role of the individual faith in God of so many of our prime ministers was, was vital in actually shaping the course of the country. And overall, I would argue, uh, greatly for the better. Um, the I mean, just let me take one concrete example. Um, John Curtin during World War II. Um, Curtin had been raised as a Catholic and had and drifted away from uh, the church as a young man. But he never stopped searching for God. And I argue in the book that during World War II, under the massive strain he was under, and Australia itself was you know, for the one and only time, actually actually under physical attack. Um, and he was so worried about the fate of the soldiers and, and the future of the country. He started to pray. And he was fortunate. He had around him uh, two or three very uh, righteous, very, very pious Christians, Protestant Christians, who helped him to pray, helped him on a, on a journey back to faith. And um, I would argue really bolstered his spirits because Curtin was a great prime minister, but he, he was a reformed alcoholic. He was a uh, depressive, suffered health problems. He actually died six weeks before the end of the war. Um, but I argue that he, he died a Christian. He had made a conversion in his last few years, and that, that had really 
helped him to give the leadership that the country needed in, the, in those most difficult times. Roy, what sort of weight do you put on the idea that crisis uh, brings out the faith of a, a politician and particularly a prime minister, a political leader, a crisis that you have to deal with that uh, where the the answer to that or coming through that crisis is bigger than any individual can seemingly humanly do and uh, there's a need for divine intervention. Well, indeed. Um, I mean, I think Curtin is the best example of that. Uh, but And there are other examples. There's also examples on the flip side, I might say, where where people possibly failed as leaders because they weren't sufficiently guided by their conscience. Um, and probably the least the least religious prime minister we've ever had was Harold Holt in the mid-1960s. He, he succeeded Menzies. And he's the one of the 24 who I would have to say, despite digging as deeply as I could, he just never seemed to have really taken any real interest in, in Christianity or any religion for that matter um, and Holt in 1967 became increasingly depressed uh, he couldn't cope with the various crises that were thrown up, the biggest of course the Vietnam War and when he died at the end of that year circumstances which I think are still mysterious <laughs> I'm not advocating communist submarine theories, but I, I, I do think that his drowning is not entirely understood. And I do think that Harold Hulse went through a crisis of, um, of his inner life because he didn't really have a rock to, to stand on. It's what a controversial I... argument. I've, I've been heavily <laughs> yes. criticised by secular commentators for even mooting that idea. But I think the historical record proves it. Anyway, the, the arguments are in the book. Uh, the interesting thing about <laughs> secular commentators, secular critics, yeah. is that uh, there is a tendency not to appreciate the strength that comes from having a deep Christian faith. And, That's uh, right. and That's what, right. you're, what you're illustrating is that uh, as you look at the prime ministers since Federation, there are those who have had to stand against a crisis and they've been yeah. able to stand on their faith, whereas uh, there yeah. are some who didn't uh, take advantage of that faith that they could have had had they uh, put their trust in God. That's right. I mean, the greatest prime ministers, uh, in my opinion, included men like Alfred Deacon, uh, the most important founding father and probably the most deeply religious man who's ever been prime minister, although he was somewhat unorthodox in his some of his beliefs, but he, you know, he wrote hundreds of private prayers. He was a he was an expert on not just Christianity but all world religions. A remarkable man, and he actually wrote in one of his private prayers that his aim in establishing Australia in that pre World War One period was to establish a community in the image of Christ as a Christ-like country based on the principles of the, of the Sermon on the Mount that. That was his sort of overarching image. And he, he uh, it's amazing looking back that Federation happened at all. Um, he had these six colonies who bickered amongst themselves and there were arguments about all sorts of things, but men like Deacon uh, uh, made it happen. So and then you had a great 
Yep. Sorry. No, I was going to say, uh, I was just going to uh, affirm men mm-hmm. like Alfred Deacon, uh, really, yeah. he's a shining light when it comes to the strength of Christian faith and the influence upon the nation that we've seen since uh, since that time. And of course, he was uh, he was uh, Prime Minister 1903-04, again in 1905-08. And, right. uh, he served yes. three terms, and he was really the key pre-World War One figure. The other was Andrew Fisher, the first great Labor Prime Minister, who was a staunch Presbyterian, uh, very righteous man. He held the Labor Party together. Um, it was really the first true social justice government, 1910 to 13. And Fisher remains actually the only cradle-to-grave Protestant who's been Labor Prime Minister of Australia, and a very underrated figure. And a real a real achiever. Uh, he had the grave misfortune in his third term to um, to be in office when when World War One uh, broke out, and he was prime minister during Gallipoli, for example. And he was he was really torn in his conscience uh, because he was at heart really a, a pacifist. Um, as too was another great Christian prime minister, Joe Lyons, in the thirties. Lyons is a really good example of someone who, who lived by his Christian conscience. Uh, he, he's a fascinating study because he's, he, he was a very devout Catholic. Uh, his, his wife Enid, later Dame Enid Lyons, converted from Methodism to Catholicism in order to marry him. And Lyons was the first Catholic to lead the non-Labor parties. Um, he came over from Labor in order to do it. Um, he had been the Labor Premier of Tasmania and then went across during the Depression. And he was vital in many ways. One, he was the first the first time under his leadership that the Conservative parties attracted significant numbers of Catholic votes. Absolutely crucial demographic change. Um, he, Lyons, was, I think, the closest we've ever had to an all-round, a genuinely all-round package of Christian beliefs. So let me explain what I think that means. Lyons was a social conservative. So on all of the, uh, what you might call the sanctity of life issues, the, the, the moral conduct issues, he was a, he was a straight down the line conservative. Um, but he leaned to the left on um, economic issues. He was never comfortable really with the big business tycoons who ran the United Australia Party, as it was called in those days, the precursor of the Liberal Party. Never really at home with them. Um, He believed in the little man. I mean, that's why he'd been in the Labor Party in the first place. Um, And he hated war. He had a detestation of war, and he did everything he could in the 30s to keep the world, not just Australia, to to keep... Britain out of war. He was a close friend of Chamberlain, the English Prime Minister. He actually used his ties with the Vatican to try and broker peace talks with Hitler through Mussolini. Now, I know appeasement is a huge subject. Um, but the point I'm making is that Lyons, uh, in his person, uh, was no respecter of parties. I think your earlier guest. Peter was talking about this too. The party system today has become so rigid 
on both sides of politics that individual politicians don't have any scope, really, to exercise their own individual conscience. Mm. They have to toe the party line on pain of expulsion. That's the official rule in the Labor Party and the unofficial rule in the Liberal Party. Uh, if you break ranks, your career is over, mm. unless in the very rare situations where the party leader deigns to call a conscience vote. There is huge so, pressure. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. 2020 on Vision. We're talking about the faith of political leaders. Our special guest this hour, Roy Williams, who's the author of In God They Trust, talking about the Christian faith of prime ministers as they date right back to Federation. Uh, Roy, uh, running a little short of time, how does the current crop of leaders look? We obviously have got uh, Tony Abbott. Uh, there was a little bit of surprise there when uh, when he was elected as uh, the leader of the Conservative uh, Liberal National Coalition and as a Catholic, and we talked about that. Uh, so far as Tony Abbott goes and Bill Shorten, uh, how do you compare the two? Well, interestingly, they've got one point in common, which is that they both received their secondary education at Jesuit schools. Um, Abbott at Riverview in Sydney, and Bill Shorten at Xavier College in Melbourne. So they've got that, they've got that in common. Um, uh, Abbott has always been a practicing Catholic. Of course, famously spent three years in a Catholic seminary in Manly in Sydney to study to be a priest, and there's no doubt that he. He has been a conservative Catholic uh, all his life. Um, the extent to which he's been faithful to all the teachings of the church in his public policy is, is I think, a matter for real question. Um, but that's that's a huge subject. I mean, on issues like the Iraq War and and asylum seekers, he has gone 100% against the Vatican's teachings and the teachings of the Catholic Church in Australia. Um, and I'll just put some listeners offside, but that, that's the truth of the matter. Bill Shorten is a lapsed Catholic. He's admitted that. Um, he wasn't raised as Abbott was in a very religious family, although he was sent to a, as I said, a Catholic school. Um, I think he has respect for that tradition and certainly has knowledge of it. Um, I believe now, though, he's, if anything, a uh, an Anglican Um I'm still searching for more information about that, I have to confess. Uh, uh, Neil, if, yeah. if anyone of your listeners has more information, I'd, be, I'd love to know it. And you could let me know and I can pass it on yeah. to Roy as well. Uh, Roy, mm. time just to take one more caller. Uh, Craig from Horsham in Victoria. Uh, Craig, what's mm. your comment? We'll need to be fairly quick. Uh, just about... Um, g'day. Uh, thanks for the talk. It's about Tony Abbott regarding the example he has to set regarding his uh, sister that's getting married, same-sex marriage. Sure. I just believe he has to display a, you know, set an example with Christian faith and not be manipulated by his and influenced by his sister. Uh, you only have to look at, you know, James 1 and 4 and Joshua 1 uh, and uh, 1 Corinthians 16 13 and 1 Corinthians 15 58. They all, he's got to stand firm on his beliefs and not be manipulated. I don't know. That's my opinion, yeah, and just go That's by great. the gospel. Yep. Thank you very much yeah. for your uh, your input today, Craig. Uh, yeah, that, is, uh, that is one area, isn't it, Roy, where Tony Abbott has held to his Christian faith and uh, he's standing firm and saying there's uh, no conscience vote here. This is the coalition's position on marriage. It is. That's, he has 
held firm, but I think reading between the lines of a number of his public statements, he, he has become increasingly torn. And his family, not merely his sister, but his daughters, uh, have really been at him on this. Um, it must be a terribly difficult issue for him, I, I would have thought. But uh, but yes, he has, he has, and the, so far the government has... Um, has held firm on that one. Uh, let's quickly, very, very quickly, uh, give some attention to WA, where there's a new Senate election just over a week away. Uh, what would uh, voters perhaps need to be thinking about when it comes to the faith of uh, political leaders by way of those who will be standing in the Senate? Uh, what are your thoughts on, uh, on on those sorts of things and taking faith into consideration when you're casting your vote, Roy? Well, this this is the this is the big question. It, it depends what aspects of the Christian faith you regard as, as more important. Um, do you look at the social justice side of the Christian faith, or do you look more at the uh, personal morality issues? I mean, different Christians will have, will have different views on that. But uh, I think Western Australian Christians are certainly entitled to look at look at the religious beliefs of of the main candidates and the leaders of the main parties are entirely valid. The founding father from Western Australia, Sir John Forrest, he, he was the premier in the 10 years leading up to federation. In fact, Western Australia wouldn't have joined Australia at the time of federation, but for Sir John Forrest. He was a good, sound Anglican. And um, interestingly, he had, he had very common sense views on funding of religious schools. He was, WA was the last state to end state aid, and um, Forrest just made the very simple point that if children aren't exposed to Christian teaching as children, the likelihood is they never will be. Well, we got to we have to do some more uh, research onto John Forrest. But Roy, yeah. fabulous! Thank you for joining us. Your book is In God They Trust. It's just been a great pleasure talking through these issues this hour. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts. Or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.